uh, Monday through Friday only, only. <laughs> and Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, but uh, before I get to this, uh, this series, I just, uh, there's a couple of things. One is, uh, you know, uh, I, I want to encourage you with Discover Track. Um, we got step one, step two, step three, step uh, four, and it goes on every month. Um, and, and it goes in that order, first week, second week, third week, fourth week, and you can pop in any time. Um, if you're wanting to get to know the church a little bit better, that's a great place. If you're one that wants to discover yourself, like, hey, how did God create me? If you want to discover more about him and your gifts, all of those things, Discover Track's the way to go. We're going to be planning one coming up. You're, some people are like, I'd rather get it all done in one shot, and so we'll be planning coming up soon uh, another time where you can do it like all in a four or five hour um, time frame and every, someone says I love a four or five hour class anyone like that like some people do some people do so we're gonna we're gonna get that going on um, so this is this uh, worship series is called closer week one we talked about with all my heart it was the story of Abraham and Isaac and and Abraham um, taking his son his son's probably a teenager or even in his early 20s at that time and and he's and God says take your your son your only son the one you love and go up on that mountain and sacrifice him and uh, Isaac has no idea what's going on and and Abraham takes him and they're going on this journey and on that way up with their servants and all this stuff they uh the first time we ever hear the 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 the, uh, the word worship is in that story where abraham tells his servants hey um guess what we're gonna go there and worship god you guys stay here and we're gonna come back to you and so the very first time worship is talked about it's connected to this place of sacrifice um go go back and listen to that message uh, i've always thought it's really interesting what was going on in isaac's mind you know, they get up there, and Isaac's like, so, Dad, uh, you've got the fire, and you've got the wood, and where's the sacrifice? And then somehow the story transitions, and Isaac's on the altar, and Abraham's raising the knife, and I'm just thinking, if I'm Isaac, this isn't a good situation, right? And the, the, it's a great story. You should, you should go back and, and watch that, listen to that. Um, week, week two, it was obedience is better than sacrifice, and it was the whole idea that, that worshiping God starts long before I ever enter the doors of this church. That there's this, that God asks us to do things in life. There's an obedience test that he wants you to live for him out there. But sometimes we're, we come in here and we're worshiping, we're singing the words on the screen, we're doing all that stuff. And God's like, hey, I'd like you to live this out there first before you walk in these doors. In fact, obedience out there is better than that sacrifice of worship in here. Let's get it straight out there first. Uh, that was week two. And then um, last week we talked about audience of one. And here's the, was the thought. It's my worship is pure before the Lord when he is the only influence of my response. I mean, if you didn't, if you weren't here last week, we, we flipped the script and we did the sermon first and then the, and, and then the worship and, and uh, the, the elders were like, were like, wait a minute, we barely even got to church on time and now we're already starting, you know, like, we didn't get time to do the offering and all this. And, but it wasn't it great, did you like flipping, flipping the script and, and doing the sermon first? We were thinking maybe we would do that from now on. No. You're like, yes, do the sermon first. So uh, we did that. And, and, and part of that reason was is I wanted to talk about worship first and talk about audience of one and then give us an opportunity to, to, to do it. But what if we came in here every week and we somehow were able to just forget that there were people next to us? Somehow able to just forget that, that someone might see me? What if, if, if the lights were all off and we were worshiping, right? 
Like, what would the response be? Would, would, you, would you respond by sitting? And some people, you would be sitting or you would be standing reverently and, and just that, that awe of God. Some of you would respond by, by some sort of an action of, of dancing or raising your hands, or, you know, and some of you are like the one-hand raisers or the two-hand raisers and, you know, whatever you might do. Maybe you would be kneeling, maybe whatever it might be. What would the response be? And the idea here is that if any of our response is motivated by somebody else like our heart isn't in the right place that was audience of one last week and so this week um, the the title is back to Bethel and we're going to understand a little bit of that title more as we go on in this message but it's back to Bethel and uh, here's the thought sometimes my worship is hindered because I don't love God as much as I used to Now, and I said that, and then I did the dramatic pause and drink another water. Some of you, you, you hear that thought, and you're like, wait a minute, no way. I love God way more today than I used to, and all this. And, 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 and you, may be, you may be right, but there's some of us that were on our journey. We, we got saved back in, you know, 1985 or whatever it was, and... and uh, and we, we find ourselves here in 2018, and we've been, we've been faithfully serving God and doing all this stuff. But if we were to be honest, there, was a, there have been other times in our life where we loved God more than we do today. It's not that we don't love him. It's not that we don't worship him. It's not that, there's no, that it's not pure and, uh, before God. It's just that if I were to be honest, right? There's been other times in my life when I have felt like I've just loved him more. I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that place. And I like to talk about going back to that place and rekindling some of that. Um, there's a story that I want us to, uh, uh, to kind of use as the backdrop. And I'm actually going to, we're going to go through about eight chapters of the Bible. Everyone say preach it. All right. Or I'm not going to read all eight chapters, but we're gonna, I, I'm going to kind of give you a high-level view of about eight chapters of the Bible, and uh, my media guy is going to follow me, right? We're gonna, I, I, may, I may miss some stuff, and you're going to be an expert. It's, it'll be good. So um, it's about eight chapters of the Bible. Let me start. So we're going to start in, in Genesis 28, but let me just give you a little bit of a backdrop before Genesis 28. Um, it, this is really the story of Jacob. And right before Genesis 28, we get this, this part, uh, Jacob's uh, um, mother, um, uh, Rebecca, it was Isaac and Rebecca, and Isaac, uh, his favorite son was Esau, and, and Rebecca's favorite son was Jacob. Do we have any of that going on in here where you got the favorite one? You know, don't, don't admit it. Don't admit it out loud. And so, so that, that was kind of the story. The Bible even, even says that, that you know, um, Esau was, was Isaac's favorite and Jacob was Rebekah's favorite. In, in, this, in this story, Jacob, right before we get to the part where we're in, right before this, um, Jacob, like, he, him and his mom swindled the blessing out of Isaac. Isaac had... had he had poor eyesight. He got really old. I imagine he's lying in bed, kind of, kind of on his deathbed almost, right? And, and, and Rebecca has, says, I have a great idea. Like, why don't you put some, like, like fur on, like, glue some fur on your, on your arms and, and then, like, smell like wild animals because that's because Esau, you know, he, was, he dealt with wild animals. And then, and then come in and give, give your dad some, some like, uh, um, I don't know, some Campbell's soup 
and bring it in. And, and then he's going he's gonna to think you're Esau. We're like, I don't know. Some of these stories in the Bible, you're like, what? How does that happen? So he comes in, he does this, and, and there's this back and forth. Isaac's like, I'm not sure this is really Esau. And no, no, it really is Esau. And eventually, Isaac gives Jacob the blessing. And, and some of you are like, well, what does that even mean? I'll tell you this. Uh, we don't have time to go into that, but it was super significant. It was, the blessing was so significant that Jacob needed to go and steal it. It was also interesting that Jacob could steal it. Have you ever thought about that? Like, somehow Jacob could steal the blessing. It's like the moment that it left Isaac's mouth, like he couldn't take it back. The blessing was that powerful. And so, uh, so Jacob somehow gets the blessing from, from, his, from his dad. And if you, if you read earlier on in the story, um, Jacob also took the birthright. And there was a birthright and there was a blessing. Um, Esau was really hungry one day and he wanted to have some food. And Jacob's like, I'll give you some food. Um, why don't you sell me your birthright? And so Esau sells the birthright for a bowl of soup. I mean... This is crazy. So now he, he, he doesn't have the birthright, and he gets swindled out of his blessing, and, uh, and this is where, the, where we're at right now. Uh, Esau was the older brother, should have got it by right, should have got both of those things. Jacob was the younger brother, and he ends up with both the birthright and the blessing. So just like any good mom would do, Rebecca says, Run! Right? right, Like, they knew Esau was going to kill him. I mean, he was that angry. And so Rebecca's like, run, go to your uncle's house in the north. And we'll see here in a little bit. There's a map. I mean, he's way up north, and, and they're living in the south. And so he starts off on this journey. We find ourselves in Genesis 28. He's off on this journey. He finds a place to uh, just kind of, it wasn't even a significant place. In, uh, in verse 10 in chapter 28, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. Haran is way in, in the north, and, and Beersheba is way in the south. And uh, when he reached a certain place, now we just say certain place because it wasn't a significant place. It was just a rest area on I-80. And, and, and that was what he found. And, and he found a rock for a pillow. Um, that's pretty cool. Uh, the, the, you know, uh, he ended up having some incredible sleep because he went into a deep dream with a rock for a pillow. Um, but it was a certain place. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a, a real significant spot, but it becomes a significant spot because of the encounter of the Lord here. Um, verse 12, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth um, with its top reaching the heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And so this, this goes on, but this is a, he's in this, this encounter with God in a dream, and he's seeing angels ascending and descending, and then God talks to him here. He says, I'm the Lord, uh, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. Uh, and he, and he, if you remember at all in the Old Testament, there was significant promise and blessing over Abraham's life, and then the same blessing on Abraham passed to Isaac, and there was significant blessing and protection, and God set them apart. And now Jacob is this third generation and he gets the same thing here and God uh, in this place and in this encounter is giving him the exact same blessing the exact same uh, protection I mean provision I mean all of this stuff it's incredible here I'm the Lord your God I will give your descendants this land in which you're laying Uh, you'll be like the dust of the earth I mean like there's going to be so many people with Abraham that he specifically said there's going to be kings and there's going to be nations that come from you 
All the peoples on the earth are going to be blessed. Verse 15, he says, I'm with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. I'll bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised. Jacob wakes up and he's like, surely God was in this place and I didn't even know it. Have any of you ever been like that? You're like, wait a minute. Like, I know God, God had to have been here and I wasn't even aware of this. And this was, this was the start of this story that we're going to be on. He, he's running from Esau. He's going to his uncle's house. He's leaving everything he ever knew. He has this significant encounter here. And out of this encounter, he names this place Bethel. Bethel means house of God. And says, so that's this place. It's Bethel. It's, it's the place of, of promise. It's the place of provision. It's the place of protection. It's the place of his presence. It's the place where surely God was in his place and I didn't even know. I've got to name that. I've got to come back to this place. They did this. They would name places. When they had significant encounters with God, they would name it and they would, they would come back and, and they, they would be on their journey and they'd say, hey, kids, that was the place. That was the place. Man, man, 100 years ago, like your great, 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 whatever, like they had that encounter. They would name those types of places. He named this place because he didn't want to forget. He didn't want to forget Bethel. I mean, this was where everything shifted. This is where, this is where he, he was able to now walk in the same blessing as, as Isaac and Abraham. This was significant. We have, uh, we have Bethels in our own life. And, and I want to talk about that because, and some of you, you may say, Pastor Jonathan, I've never had a Bethel experience. And, um, and that may be true. Um, I would say you hang on long enough with a heart position for the Lord and you will. You will have a Bethel experience. We probably can count in our lifetime on like one hand, maybe two, like the, depending on how long you've lived. In my, in my lifetime, it's probably one hand. Maybe by the time I'm, uh, I got the white hairs, it's, uh, maybe I can count on two. But there's just... There's only a handful or two handfuls of times where it's the Bethel experience. Where it's that, it's that moment where, where God speaks destiny, where there's promise. It's the moment where it was an encounter. It's not, I mean, we have encounters on Sunday mornings with God where his sweet presence comes. And, and there's times when I'm reading in the word and I feel like there's just revelation. I'm like, God's right here. Like, but this is more than just, just the, the everyday walking with God presence. This is like the significant life-altering times where God says you're going to be or you're going to do or he says you, you th- this is what I call you this is what I name you this is this, this is these are those times where you're like man I, I will never be the same everything shifted in that moment for some of you it was like salvation for some of you you were like like the the Saul to Paul when, when Saul in the Bible, he's on the road to Damascus to murder Christians and, and Jesus shows up with a blinding light and knocks him off his horse. How many know that was a Bethel experience for him? That salvation. Some of you, salvation was the Bethel experience. And you look back on that time, it was significant. It, it reset everything. You'll always remember that moment. Some of you, it was, it was like in Acts 2 when, when um, all of the disciples, about 120 people were in the upper room and the Holy Spirit poured out like tongues of fire on everyone's head and, it, and they heard a sound like a mighty rushing wind and the whole city came to see what was going on. I guarantee you, they'll never forget that moment. I wonder sometimes if any of the disciples like went back to that upper room and they like just, they walked up the stairs and they went in there and I wonder if any of the disciples ever just thought, Man, you remember that time? 
maybe it was like 20 years later and they just walk in there. I wonder if they could like almost feel that same experience if, as they went back to Bethel. They went back to that moment. There's, there's only a handful of those significant moments, but, they're, but they shift things. And, and we remember them forever. They're life-changing moments. Jacob had one like that. And, and you say, Pastor Jonathan, I don't know. Like, I've never had that. And, and I'll say, the, the, it, the, the truth is that some of you maybe, not, maybe haven't had that. How do I have a Bethel moment? There, there's a combination between my position and his sovereignty. And when I say his sovereignty, that means he's God and I'm not. That means he can do whatever he wants. And there's like this, there's like, there's these two roads and it's, it's like God's sovereignty and my position. And as I turn towards him, at some point down the line, there's an intersection where destiny meets reality. And in that moment, we have a Bethel moment that you need to never forget and you need to always come back to. You say, Pastor Jonathan, I want that. And I just, I say, man, there's, all you, you need to just position your heart. Uh, it could happen today. It could happen tomorrow. It might be a year from now. It might be five years from now. But there's a position in our heart that says, that says, God, I just want you. I just want everything that you have. I want to think like you think. I want to go where you tell me to go. If you say uh, jump, I'll say how high. If you say go, I'll just say how far. Like, I just, I just want you. Like, you're not just part of my life. You're everything. Like, everything centers around you. And I just want, with that heart, as you're on this journey, you will have those moments. You'll have the Bethel moments. You'll have the Bethel moments. A lot of us in this room probably have had. For me, um, man, I, I've, I've, I've shared a lot of these stories before, but, but when I was 16 years old in my grandparents' living room, I had, I had one of my first Bethel moments. When, when we just thought that we were there for a, you know, for a family reunion and a potluck, and, and then my life it was just never the same when God touched me. And I would say that... that to my knowledge, it was the first time I ever felt the tangible presence of God that shifted everything, and it shifted it so significantly that I, um, like, I was on a journey, and I've been on a journey ever since to encounter his presence, that his presence would mark my life. When I was 16 years old in my grandparents' living room, uh, I remember a, a, another kind of Bethel moment for me was, was when I was uh, in Denver at like age 19 or 20, and I'm standing in the back of the, of the conference room at a hotel at a youth convention, and I'm, I'm one of the like youth leaders, but I'm like still, I'm a teenager really, I'm bar- barely, tw- maybe 20. And I'm in the back and I'm just thinking about my future and thinking about uh, where I'm going to get my education and all this stuff. And I just remember the Lord um, placing a clear call of ministry on my heart. At that, I'm like, I'll never forget standing in that conference room and realizing, oh, so I'm not going to go and be an actor in television and movies. <laughs> yeah, you, you want me to do something else. <laughs> remember that. That directly affects you guys, by the way. I remember the uh, I remember the moment I, I was a year into kind of my um, my my training in ministry and we uh, I was living in Spokane Washington and we went on a trip back to Phoenix Arizona where I grew up and we were at Phoenix First Assembly where some of you may have heard the name Tommy Barnett and it's his his church and. Um, we were in there, and I'm sitting just kind of in the nosebleed section of the church, and there was a guy named Reggie Dabbs that was preaching on the stage, and, and man, this guy, this guy could, could preach your socks off. I mean, he was just awesome. I don't remember anything he said, except for during that altar time. You see, because before that moment, I was praying, Lord God, what do you, what do you want me to do? Where, where am I, 
where am I going? What, you know, am I, are you wanting to be like a, be, be like a youth pastor and go to Bible college? Or you want me to, like, to go and like, uh, you know, be part of a church and do ministry? Like, where do you want me to, to go? What do you want me to do? And in my heart, I had been praying about going to Des Moines, Iowa and being a part of my dad's church and, uh, and starting a, a church-based internship program and just kind of going for it and doing some kind of a non-conventional, uh, non-formal education, uh, doing Bible college by extension. Like I was praying about all this, Des Moines, Iowa. So Reggie Dabbs is, is he d- got done with his, his sermon and, uh, and he's doing this altar call and he's basically saying, hey, uh, some of you may be called to Afghanistan. Some of you may be called to, to Pakistan. Some of you, New York and Los Angeles, and you need to answer the call. And there might be some of you in here, you need to go to Des Moines, Iowa. And I was like, Pfft. I mean, it was like in a moment, like for nobody else, it, it meant anything for me. It was like, I'll never forget the moment when I was supposed to go to Des Moines, Iowa. Maybe you've had some of those moments. And Jacob had that moment here in, in Genesis 28. And, and, uh, and he goes on in chapter 29 and chapter 30. Um, we're going to skip. There's some, there's some cool things in there. But, but it's where he finds his wife, Rachel. And, and, uh, and, he, uh, and he, wants to, you know, he wants to marry Rachel. But his uncle Laban's a, a, a swindler. Oh, kind of like Jacob. You know, like it just runs in the family. They're liars and swindlers, I guess. And, and, that, and they are. They are, when you read that story. And, and so, but Laban, he was like, yeah, you work, you work for me for seven years, I'll give you Rachel. And that's how they did it back then. And it um, didn't quite work out the same way with Becky and I. But, um, but for them, it worked. You work seven years and then you get your, get your wife. And, and so he did it. And, and somehow on the wedding night and everything, I don't know if it was, the, if it was just like really dark or, or what. I don't know how it happened. I mean, um, maybe, maybe she was veiled and you just couldn't, couldn't. But somehow he wakes up the next day after the wedding night and he's like, oh, Leah. I saw that going differently in my head. And he realized he married the wrong one. Did anybody, does that happen to anybody? No, no, only him in the history of ever married the wrong person on accident. And so he works another seven years because, oh, yeah, Laban's, I forgot to tell you, Jacob, uh, like we have to marry off the, the, you know, the oldest first. And so I should have told you that and I forgot. Hey, why don't you work for me for another seven years? And so they do that. And, uh, and so it's 14 years in and now, and now another six years for this, that, and the other thing. And you guys could read the story. And, and that's 20, chapter 29 and 30. He's been 20 years now uh, at his uncle's house. And it was hard. I mean, he's being lied to, he's been cheated, and this whole time there's still been the protection of God and the blessing of God. I mean, it's just an interesting thing, but man, any of you ever felt like Jacob and you're just like, oh my goodness, this 20 years, it has been so hard. Like I would have, I, I, didn't, I didn't write this, I if I would have planned this, it would have been different than this, and man, these 20 years, I just saw it going differently in my head. Anybody ever been there? I mean, that was Jacob. That was Jacob, and, and we find ourselves then in chapter 31, and 
Uh, and and we're, we're kind of getting to the end of time with, with Uncle Laban. And Jacob heard in, in verse 1, Jacob heard that Laban's sons uh, uh, were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all his wealth from what belonged to our father. And, and, and just so you know, like that really didn't happen. The, the sons were, were, um, were, they were lying as well. And, and Jacob had, had gained his wealth very honestly and all of this stuff. But that's what the sons were saying. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude towards him was not what it had been. Everything was kind of shifting there. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. Go back. It's time to go back. Fast forward a few verses to verse 13. God says, I'm the God of Bethel. That's a significant statement. In other words, he's saying, you remember 20 years ago? Remember that moment when you were in the nosebleed section at Phoenix First? Remember that moment when you were in your grandmother's living room and, and, and your uncle put his hand on you and prayed and you experienced my presence for the first time? You remember that one time when you were standing in the back of the, of the, the conference room and, and I called you? He's like, I want you to, I'm the God of that. You may have forgotten, these 20 years have been hard, you may have forgotten, but that's who I am. I'm the God of Bethel. I'm the God of Bethel. He says, were you anointed a pillar where you made a vow to me? Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. And those pretty clear instructions. It's been 20 years, Jacob. I want you to shift everything and I want you to go back. Let's go back to Bethel. Let's go back to Bethel. He goes on this journey and eventually Laban uh, his uncle catches up. They actually kind of left at night. They, they got all of their, I mean, and there's like hundreds of people in his family by now and servants and all this stuff. And they're like, hey, shh, let's go. And they like at night they left because he was, I mean, Jacob's always struggled with fear issues and anxiety. And they just, they left so that they could be on their way and that, and that Laban would, wouldn't find out. And, and eventually, you know, a few, after a few days, Laban's like, what's going on? And he must have not lived nearby. And, and he found out Jacob's gone with, with my two daughters and all of this. And, and so he like gathers his men and they go after Jacob and they, they show up and, and they have an encounter with Laban. Long story short, um, uh, Laban, uh, you know, lets him go. And, and so they leave. And uh, chapter 32, starting in verse 1, Jacob also went on his way. And the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. So he named that place um, Manaim. Now, it's interesting here because he's already, he's shifted his heart back towards Bethel. And he has another significant moment and he names that place again. And, and, he, he, and so he named it, the, I mean, the angels of God showing up. I mean, when you start to turn towards towards the Lord, when you start to shift in your heart, like I'm going back to Bethel, it's, it's interesting what the, what the Lord does. He marks that. He meets you. He was already going back to Bethel in his heart. The angels of God show up, and he's having a significant time here with the Lord. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And part of this going back to Bethel is I'm going to have to see my brother again. And you guys remember what happened 20 years ago. And Jake was a, Jacob's afraid. What's going to happen when I see my brother? And so he sends servants out ahead of him because they're getting close. And, and, and the servants go, and, and, and I don't know how long it takes, but they catch up with Esau. And 
And they realize Esau's coming, and Esau's coming with 400 men. They send word back to Jacob, and Jacob's like, oh, that's cool. That's just, no, Jacob is afraid. He's, he's stricken with fear. And in that place of, of fear of my brother's coming with 400 men, and I remember what happened to uh, 20 years ago, verse 9, Jacob prayed, Oh God, my father, Ab- uh, uh, oh God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country. And he goes on and he starts to remind God of the promises. He starts to remind God of Bethel. He starts to remind God of all of that stuff. You told me to go back. This was, this was, and he says that. In verse 11, he says, save me, I pray. And have you had that prayer before? You, you can't muster much out other than, oh, God, save me. Man, that's where Jacob was. Save me from the hand of my brother, for I'm afraid he will come and attack me. And also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He kind of reminds God of his promise. Not that God needed reminding. I think he said it to remind himself. And so he, it goes on, verse 13, he spent the night there and he had some gifts sent ahead um, to his brother um, Esau, kind of like uh, sweeten the deal a little bit. There's, he, he sent some gifts ahead and, and hopefully Esau is going to be in a good mood when they see each other. Verse 22, that night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants and 11 sons. He crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions And then, this is a real famous part, verse 24, so Jacob was left alone. And it's this story here. It says a man wrestled with him till daybreak. And this is the first time I saw, uh, maybe you've heard of the story of Jacob wrestling with God. And, uh, and, and this, is, this is that. This is more than just a man. Every theologian would say this was, this was God in the flesh wrestling with Jacob. But I like Man, the first time I saw this, it was, it was a man wrestled with him till daybreak. The, the, the wrestling was initiated by God. This wasn't, this wasn't Jacob going and wrestling with him. Jacob, Jacob just, just was left alone, and, and he was in his fear, and he had done all the, if you read the story, Jacob had done a few things to kind of set himself up for success there, split, the, split his people into two camps, and I mean, it was interesting. And he's right there, and God wrestled with him. God got a hold of Jacob in this moment. In this story, uh, they're wrestling and wrestling, and, and, and Jacob is kind of winning. I'll let you in on a little, bit, a little secret. Um, God was letting him win. I mean, if any of you think that Jacob was winning on his own, I mean, this is like when I'm wrestling with Aria. And, uh, I mean, really, like all it would take is one moment. And, you know, <laughs> take that. And that's what was going on here, and they're wrestling, and uh, and finally, finally, uh, you know, God's like looking at the at the at his watch, and he's like, "Okay, it's time," and just barely touches Jacob's hip socket and throws it all out. And for and, and this Jacob actually walked with a limp for the rest of his life. Such an incredible encounter with God that he actually names that place Peniel, just because he saw God face to face. It's another kind of Bethel moment that I'm sure he'll. As he'll go back to someday and his children will see Peniel, the place that he named when, he, when God wrestled with him. I almost won that one, guys. 
He goes on and, uh, you know, and, and right at the beginning of Genesis 33, he has the encounter with Esau and he's afraid and all of this. But Esau like runs and embraces him. And there's this incredible reconciliation story. If you've ever um, just need some encouragement about reconciliation and forgiveness and all of those things, I would encourage you to go to that place because there was just, I mean, it was just sweet. I mean, Esau is saying, oh, no, you don't have to give me anything. And Jacob's like, no, I want to give you it all. And Esau's like, no. And then Jacob's like, yes. And, okay, fine, take it. I mean, it was like, and, and, and it was great, and they, they hugged and all of this stuff. And I mean, God's the one that can set that up. God's the one that can take over the last 20 years and minister to Esau's heart so that Esau's in the right place and take 20 years with Jacob and minister to Jacob's heart so Jacob's heart's in the right place. And, and so they come together. I mean, only God could do that. And we come to this place in verse 13 through 17 right here. And Esau wants Jacob to come with him. Like, hey, let's just travel together. And Jacob says, ah, no, you know, uh, uh, the children are tender and I need to care for the ewes and the cows and, and there's all this stuff going on and, and you know, and, 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 and you know, the, the women's feet are hurting and, you know, and all of this. Why don't you go on ahead and, and I'll catch up with you? And it really happens. They go back and forth, back and forth, and finally, okay, Esau's like, yeah, I'll go, and you can catch up with me. And so if you read here, in verse 17, it says, Jacob, however, went to Sukkoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. This is why the place is called Sukkoth. Now, every once in a while when you're reading the Bible, you just need to stop and ask questions. And like, what's going on? You can just read past it and... Can I just tell you, Sukkoth isn't Bethel. Sukkoth isn't south. In fact, do we have a map, Chris? Can we put this map up on the... So, in the, in the beginning, Jacob's in Hebron with, with his mom and dad in the bottom. Hebron's in the bottom. And, and then he runs for his life, and, and he goes, and, and he's kind of going up. If you see kind of on the, on the right-hand side, it kind of pulls the map out a little bit. And so he goes, Bethel is 12 miles north of Jerusalem. That's kind of where, where he went and where he camped for the night. And then Haran is way up. That's where Laban was. And so there's this whole journey where he comes down and, and all of this. Well, it's, uh, it's the Manaim, I, I think that's how you pronounce it. That's where um, Esau and Jacob meet up, and they have this time. Well, Jacob's like, yeah, I'm going to come with you. Yeah, no problem. And Esau goes south, and Jacob kind of goes northwest. He, and, he, and he doesn't even go towards Bethel. He goes to Sukkoth. And the Bible says is that he settles down, and he, like, builds a, builds a house. That doesn't sound like a guy that's on his way to Bethel to me. I'll tell you, this happens to us sometimes. Where, man, we're on our way back. We're, we're, we're agreeing with the Lord. We're saying yes to God. And then, man, this time, the fear creeps in or whatever. Or convenience creeps in. Or this is the, the journey's too long. Whatever it is. And then, and then, boom, I'm off to Sukkoth and Esau's back to Seir. And he lived there. He lived there for a long time. There's a long time that happens between verse 17 and verse 18. But he lived there for a long time. And then they end up in a place called Shechem. Everyone say Shechem. You're going to want to forget Shechem. Nothing good happens in Shechem. 
this is what happens. We, there's a whole chapter devoted to Shechem. Chapter 34 is uh, uh, Jacob's daughter Dinah is raped by the men of Shechem. I mean, it was just a tragedy. And Jacob's sons are, are just angry like anyone normally would be. And they, uh, um, they there was, works this out. For some reason, the person that rapes Dinah actually like falls in love with her. Um, it's probably not like a real love, but he's like infatuated with her and he wants to marry her. And so they set up this deal with Jacob's sons and stuff. Okay, hey, you guys, all the men of Shechem, you guys get circumcised. And if you don't know what that is, you can ask your dad. You guys all get circumcised. And then, and then, um, and then if you guys do that, then, then we'll give Dinah to you in marriage. So while they were all in pain and hurting, the two sons, Jacob's, two of Jacob's sons, go and murder all of the men of Shechem. I mean, this is a massacre. I mean, can anyone say that they've gone off track by this point? This is not Bethel. This wasn't where they were supposed to be. This is a little off track. I'm telling you, there are some people, even in this room right now, where you know that, man, you know where you should be. And somehow, over the course of time, whatever it was, you've ended up in Sukkoth, or maybe you've ended up in Shechem. And you're just sitting there like, man, I know I was supposed to go back to Bethel. Man, I know that this isn't the promises of God. I know this isn't the place that I'm supposed to be. I know, for some reason, I just know. Man, and this, sometimes this is what's hindering our worship is that it's been, man, it's been 20 years since Bethel. And it's been, and, and now I'm making camp in this place and I knew I was supposed to go back and I'm right here and, and Shechem happens. Oh my goodness. And nobody wants to even remember Shechem. And he finds himself sitting there after all of this has happened and all of the men of Shechem are murdered and his daughter is, has been raped and all of this stuff. In Genesis 35, the tap on Jacob's shoulder again. You see, because God has never left him. No matter how far you've gone, no matter where you're at on your journey, no matter what's happened, even if you've ended up in Shechem, God still says, hey, Jacob, go back to Bethel. Go back to Bethel. Go back to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God and the God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. And, man, and there's all of this story in Genesis 35. He ends up, he takes his family up and he says, get rid of all your foreign gods, purify yourself. Everyone got up, everyone went and went to Bethel. In fact, the fear of the Lord rested on every like city that was nearby so that they had safe passage and they went back to Bethel. They finally ended up in Bethel. And it was just an, just a great encounter with God there and God reminded him of all of his promises. It was, in fact, the same words that happened in chapter 28, 20 years earlier. Oh, at, the, at this point, it's probably, I mean, it could be 30 years earlier by this point. And all the same promises, the same protection, the same favor, all of that stuff, he's back in Bethel. <laughs> Finally, he probably thought, I shouldn't have gone to Shechem. King David uh, some of you may remember the story. He uh, um, had an affair with a lady named Bathsheba. And uh, um, all of his fighting men were off at war. And he has an affair with, uh, with Bathsheba. And, uh, and uh, she ends up getting pregnant. And, um, and so then David's like, oh, no, I've got to figure this out. And so he 
he somehow orchestrates it so that Bathsheba's um, husband Uriah dies on the front lines of battle. And uh, such an interesting time. There's a, there's a prophet that tells David basically like because of that like your son is actually going to die i mean and i mean it was just just an incredible moment david is mourning well out of that place of just his sin and the and his heart and all of that stuff that was going on in david's life he had gotten way off track he writes this psalm in psalm 51 starting in verse 10 he says create in me a pure heart o god and renew a steadfast spirit within me do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Man, what a heart. I mean, to, to say, okay, God, man, I'm, I somehow ended up in Sukkoth or maybe I ended up in Shechem or, man, I don't know, it's been a long time and I, I, I love you, but I'm just not where I'm supposed to be. And David, he's just, would you restore to me the joy of your salvation? At the end of the book, you fast forward all the way to Revelation. The Apostle John's on the island of Patmos, and, and um, the angel writes these letters to seven churches. And there's a, there's a, a letter um, to the church of Ephesus that was written. Revelation 2. And, um, and in here, uh, verse 2, he says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I mean, wouldn't that be, listen, this is some encouraging words to this church. Like, I know your perseverance. I, I know that you can't tolerate wicked people. I, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and you've found them false. You've persevered and endured hardship for my name and have, and have not grown weary. Verse 4, yeah, I hold this against you. I mean, they've done all of this stuff right. He says, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. He says, consider how far you've fallen and repent. To go back and do the things that you did at first. There, we, man, we find ourselves here every once in a while where we're just like, you know, the thing that really hinders my worship, it's not the, it's not the song that's being played. It's not how fast or how slow. It's not, it's not all of the things that, you know, all of the preference stuff. Some, you know, the thing that really hinders our worship is sometimes... I realized that I loved, loved God more back then than I do today. I mean, if you want to just boil it down, that's the thing. And God's inviting us. I don't know where you are in that journey. Maybe it's just been a long time. And you're like, man, it's been 20 years and it's been hard. And God's saying, hey, I invite you back to Bethel. Maybe you found yourself on the way back to Bethel and you just kind of er, over to Sukkoth. Or maybe it's Shechem. And things went really bad. And God's saying, hey, come back to Bethel. Would you just, I know you love me. Man, you, you've persevered. You've done all of these great things. I mean, even under hardship. I mean, you are good people. You're, man, you're, you're going after me. But, man, this one thing I have against you is that you've forgotten your first love. Would you go back to that? What does that look like for you? Is, was that the moment? You can come, Pastor Kelly. Was that the moment that, like, you got saved and you realize, like, everything's different now? Was it, was it a moment, like I described, where the presence of God shows up in my grandmother's living room? Was it a moment where God said, uh, here's purpose, and here's destiny over you? And I'll, I don't know what it is for you. And maybe you've never had that moment, and God says, hey, I want to give you that moment. 
Man, there's three words I just want you to, I want you to know. I, this helps me go back to Bethel. It's three words. Remember. I want to remember. Like I just recounted before you, some of you could come up here and share, me, share with me your, your Bethel story. That moment that, that just shifted everything. I want to remember that. I, I want to repent. Repent isn't just this, God, I'm sorry, but it's like it really means to return. It's like to, to go back in that place of repentance, it's like I'm actually changing the way I think, and I'm not going this way. I'm going this way now, and so I'm saying, God, man, I love you, but I, I, I know that there's been times in my life where I've loved you more than right now, and I want to go back. I want to go back to that place, my first love, and, and that's really what that third word is, is return. Any of you ready to return? Can we just... Say, man, as a church, we just want to return to that place, like wherever it is, even if I'm just like one foot off of where I was, man, I don't want to, I don't want to be anywhere other than where God wants me to be. And when God says, go back to Bethel, I want to go back. Man, sometimes it's just been that it's been so long. Sometimes like Jacob, it's been fear and guilt and shame that's kind of keeping us from where we're wanting to be. And sometimes, man, it's somewhere we just woke up one day and we're like, wait a minute. I'm in Shechem. I didn't plan this. If I would have wrote the story, it wouldn't have ended up like this. And somehow I'm here. And could we stand together as we get ready to, to end? Some of you, the Lord may be even working on your heart and just saying, hey, somewhere along that journey, somewhere in Jacob's story, it ministers to you. And you're like, yeah, that's, that's me right there. That's me. I had an incredible moment and I, now I'm just far off wherever that is. Or maybe you say, Pastor Jonathan, I, I want that, that first encounter. I've never had that. I've never had that Bethel moment. If, wherever you find yourself on that journey, in just a few minutes, we'll just have some people up here ready to pray, ready to set things right, ready to say, God, I want to go back and do the things I did at first when you and I Man, when we had that Bethel moment, when we had that encounter, when I, when, when I remember loving you more than I even do right now, Lord, would you set things right in my heart? Lord, all over this room, from my right to my left, would you do that in this place? Would you ignite worship in our heart and love in our heart? Would you set things right in this place, wherever we've been on this journey, that we would go back to Bethel? the place of promise, the place of purpose, the place of encounter, the place where you marked us. In Jesus' name. As Pastor Kelly leads the song, I think it's him, um, feel free to come up. We're going to pray. We'll just be here for a few minutes and then in a minute or two we'll just release everybody. But why don't you just come up here and we'll just get things right with the Lord. We'll go back to Bethel together. Come on. I stand in offering with open hands, Lord, I bring everything and nothing less, my best, my all. You deserve my every breath, oh, my life.
corazón Only I stand In offering With open hands Lord I bring Everything and nothing less Oh my best My own Serve my every breath, all my life, my soul. Singing, I surrender, I surrender all. Singing, I surrender. I trust you I'm letting go To give you Everything and nothing less All my best My all
go this week, be blessed. Have the Lord remind you of those places that he has spoke to you. And that you can hold on to and grasp and say, this is what the Lord has said to me. Don't go weary. Stay strong. And allow the Lord to just pour out his spirit upon you. So Lord, I just pray all over this room. Lord, as we close this service, Lord God. Lord God, that you give them abundance of joy. Lord God, joy that comes from you. Lord God, that you will minister to each one of them where they're at right now. Lord, we just thank you and carefully give you all the glory. In your son's name, amen. Hey, be blessed this week. God bless you. Have a great week.
is the throne that makes me white as snow. No other thoughts I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus, nothing but the blood of Jesus. The blood of
Sí. 